Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode 8 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Julia and Christian Anto. They're both strength and conditioning coaches at the Ileana Power Asylum, which is up in northern Indiana, kind of by Chicago. I've known Julia a little bit longer than I've known Christian. I've known them both, I would say, for the better part of almost 10 years now. And Julia has been in the collegiate and private sector. She's done it all. She's been strength and conditioning for, I think, about 20 years, give or take. And in my opinion, she's one of the most underrated female strength coaches out there. And I do think that she is one of the best female strength and conditioning coaches um, out there. Christian, as well, is pretty well seasoned at this point. He's an incredibly great guy, incredibly knowledgeable. We've had some really good programming discussions. And between the two of them, we've got to know each other relatively well, being teammates of Elite FTS and then now obviously living in the state of Indiana. Um, we whole, With the whole COVID thing when this was recorded, um, we kind of had some back discussion um, off air. But like I said, they're really good, intelligent people. They work with kids and personal training clients. They're really good powerlifting coaches. So if you're looking for somebody to help you with your programming powerlifting, Julia and Christian both have the highest regards uh, in that aspect. Um, but we kind of really talk about a little bit of everything, what it's like being married and training together and working together. That's something very relatable between me and Adrian. Um, we're kind of in that same that same scope and same area as they are. But we also talk about working with female athletes, what it's like for Julia being a female strength and conditioning coach and how that conversation kind of changes when it comes to working with clients because I think a lot of people think this is um, a very male-driven occupation and there are some incredibly good gifted female strength and conditioning coaches and at the end of the day it doesn't matter what gender your your strength coach is generally the knowledge and everything there is the same just how it becomes communicated and i do believe that being a female strength and conditioning coach helping educate other female athletes helps improve empowerment and how that helps that conversation of getting females and female athletes particularly in the weight room and how they can benefit with their athletics and Julie does a good job of helping bridge that but they also talk about how they have had conversations with their kids uh, in getting them in the the weight room for uh, positive reinforcement not only just for health but also for improving their own sports performance for their kids and how those conversations kind of look and how they provide empowerment with their their own children so there's a really good backstory that you'll be able to hear from uh, Julie and Christian but then also we kind of just talk general, talk general strength and conditioning concepts and what those kind of conversations look like um, for each of us. So we do things a little bit differently, especially from a business standpoint. But at the end of the day, our goals are relatively the same. Like I said, Julie and Christian are great people. They're really good friends. I really appreciate them coming on. This was a really good conversation. And I'm glad I was able to get them both on at the same time. I think it provides a very unique perspective to look at this kind of conversation. So enjoy episode eight with Julia and Christian. Hey, Christian, Julia, and Brandon, how you guys doing? Doing great. How are you? Oh, we're good. We're just trying to hang in there with the COVID stuff. I'm sure you guys are in the same boat being in Indiana. So, yep. yeah. Um, I know we got the news that we can open, you know, relatively soon, at least from a 
uh, gym membership standpoint, that's at the end of the month. And then we got some, some, um, some scheduling stuff that I think we're able to do. So at least we're able to get started. So that's at least the good news. Um, I'm glad to have both of you on. I've known you guys for quite a long time individually and then now collectively. Um, you're kind of in the same boat as us. We obviously are semi-private facility and you guys are doing a little more private one-on-one -on -one with how you work with people. And uh, you guys work, do a lot more online work than I do now. I kind of shifted away from, from that because I'm so hands-on. As, as a married couple, um, how does that go that you guys train together, work together, the highs and lows of, of marriage, and then also helping other powerlifters and athletes, um, you know, kind of walk everybody through what that relationship is like. Cause I think some people think, Oh man, I'd, I'd love to be in a relationship or married to somebody that values training, exercise, health uh, as much as I do. But I, I think sometimes people also realize there's not, there's some, there's some negative sides and uh, you guys are both very competitive so kind of let everybody know how you guys handle that relationship both positively and the, the, the pitfalls you see at times. Uh, <laughs> we're both chuckling. I, I don't, I mean, granted, we've only been married not quite two years. So maybe ask us this <laughs> another 15 years. No, but in all seriousness, um, we, we have pretty, I would say, opposite schedules at the gym as far as clients go. And it's not done on purpose. It's kind of just done more ac accidentally, just when his clients want to train and mine, mine want to train. So if I'm super busy with morning clients, he might not be, but he's there in the evening with our powerlifting team and his evening clients, and then I'm kind of taking care of the kids' stuff. So it just sort of works out that way. But we do have some overlap. Um, so yeah, we do carpool to the gym together and we train together. I, I think, um, I think we both enjoy it. <laughs> We're kind of looking at each other. I think from a, from a coaching standpoint, it gives us the opportunity. We're fortunate to be able to bounce ideas off of each other. So he'll say, Hey, do you remember that client I had in the gym the other day? Did you, did you happen to see her squat? And I would be like, yeah, He's, what do you think? What do you think that, you know, would this work Would this work? So we can, thankfully do that with clients so if we have an overlap in schedule and we can kind of eyeball each other's clients we'll we'll get each other's you know feedback on form on programming um so from a coaching standpoint that's been super helpful yeah we both we both have different styles of how we go about presenting information to clients so if she's unable to get through somebody one way um, I have a tend I sometimes can be helpful and I come across not the greatest at times and she has a lot better way of uh, getting across to other individuals as well. Um, that aspect transitioning over to our specific training with one another, that was and still is an interesting dynamic. Um, for those that don't know, Julia is um, has been powerlifting for, Almost double the amount of time that I've even been in this. <laughs> um, I think more than double, actually. <laughs> double. Twenty years, yeah. Um, she's also been um, mentored and had the opportunity to train with some of the greatest names in powerlifting, and she came from a geared background, um, which I unfortunately don't have. So going through training cycles and changing things um, is not the easiest 
thing to navigate. Um, a lot of frustration happens when feedback is given and it is not understood. So kind of going back to what I just said of, I have a, a particular way of coming across on certain things that isn't necessarily helpful at times. Um, and me personally, you take things a little bit more personally when successes happen and failures for that matter. Um, I did a podcast with Tony Montgomery and I had the conversation with him. Uh, we ended up getting really hurt one training cycle. We overtrained and I took that very personally because in essence I injured her because I I was writing the training program and we ended up both getting injured. So that is a training program structure of something new that I was trying and it ended up burning both of us. So again, she's my wife. I, I love her to death. So injury is going to be something that is very, that I'm going to take very personally, but also I'm going to be very kind of distraught about So learning what works for her and what works for me, especially from her background has been a drastic learning experience for me, but it also can help me when other individuals coming from a geared background, I'll start to see the exact same thing. And I go, I know why you're doing that. I know what this is stemming from. Let me try and regress these movements a little bit to allow you to progress in this way without that supportive gear. So learning how one another responds to coaching cues, movement patterns, um, exercise uh, prescriptions that are good and bad have also helped me with training people that have never been in gear before, but are also have never done a lot of these non-geared movements for powerlifting in general. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I know whenever me and Adrian train or, or talk training and, and, and work together, um, it's, there, there, there are days sometimes where we kind of, um, I would say the big thing that we had to change was our, not our communication, but the way that we, wrote training programs together was because we might so for example like i call it a dumbbell bench press she calls it a dumbbell chest press it, <laughs> it, it's the same exercise or just the way that we have it but when we write training programs for our kids because we actually you know they, they we print out their programs and they read it and they we try to teach them the ownership how to be able to do stuff by themselves we want the lingo to be the same consistently Absolutely. And so that was a conversation that was a little bit tough because it's like, you know, I had to give her a little bit, she had to give me and I, and you know, what's going to stick with the kid better if the dumbbell chest press might make more sense. Cause like, Hey, I'm going to work my chest, but some kids may actually say, well, I've always learned this as a bench press. So it's, it's the bench press to me. That was probably one of our big first hiccups that we had from a, from a business standpoint. And then also um, making the decision that, who would be in charge of writing what programs um, so that the, the, the programming would be the same since, yeah, because on a, on a, on a monthly basis, when we were fully operational, I think that we were writing anywhere between 45 and 55 programs a month. That is a lot. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, you know, we got to the point where when we got to get that busy, that we made the decision that she does all the personal training and I'll take all the youth sports performance kids. And then we'll try to, if we have to have any kind of overlap, we can talk about that. We just had that conversation literally 20 minutes ago. Hey, uh, Jessica's program, she wants a new program for tomorrow. She's redoing billing cycle. I'll take care of the billing stuff. I've already talked to her about it. You do the training program, 
you know, tonight, this evening, whenever, and then uh, email it to her and I'll have all of her paperwork done so that on Monday when she goes to open up her email, she just has to sign everything and everything's done. So I think that's, that's, I think the, that's the important thing is just making sure you're so cliche, but literally just making sure you both are communicating. Um, when you're in the same building and you're doing the same thing, if I, if he has a, say a client that comes to him, that's looking more for fat loss, it's not that he can't train her. Um, but he might suggest to her and say, Hey, you, you know, I think you might be better off with Julia. She can also do nutrition help, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, given taking in, in that aspect, um, as well. And just, I think, you have to learn not to when you know that the other person is coming from a good place that they're they're not being harmful with their words so if there is if you are hurt by it chances are they weren't being purposely mean um there might have just been a breakdown in communication yeah yeah and you kind of just segued into the the next thing i wanted to talk about which was um creating buy-in with the female clientele um and it's great having both of you to talk about this because obviously if you take one female client and she meets with christian and then she meets with you i would be willing to bet 99 percent of the time you're going to get way more information from her than christian's going to even if christian says the exact same questions word for word the the comfort zone of female to female is very is very beneficial and i think I'm sure IPA sees that with, with you there. And we've seen it at, at Thurs when we have female athletes or personal training clients come in. I, I try to give that all on to Adrian. I'm like, Hey, you, you do the talking, you, you do the selling because they know that you, you strength train, you know, you're part of the business is what you do. And they're going to feel more comfortable where they see me as the, the, the meathead power lifter and, yeah. and they're going to kind of shut down a little bit. So um, how, how do you go about communicating with those female um, and clients to, to be honest about what they need to do, but also um, what they can expect from, from you. And then it may be even Christian, if Christian happens to work with a female athlete or clientele, how does he go about communicating with her slightly different than he would one of his, his male clients of the same, same line? Um, it's, it's tough because you, you kind of nailed it already in that a lot of females just when they walk in the door go, oh, there's another female coach here, thank goodness, for whatever reason. And I think that can be a whole other discussion in and of itself of, you know, men don't understand women in the training setting, our bodies are different, blah, 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 you name all of those things. So I think just from the letting the guard down at the at the start um just creates that that comfort level in and of itself then you tack on to it a a coach who can speak to especially if you're talking young athletes a young girl about what this can do for her and how it will help her performance how it will build up her confidence and a perfect example is um I have a, a 19, 19 year old female. She's a freshman in college and all of the soccer coaches that she's had growing up have all been males. And while they, they like the coaches, the, the mom has just very adamantly expressed that she feels like there's just been a missing link there. And, um, 
she was referred by a, a PT chiropractor to me and she, the mom is just every week she comes in, she is just over the moon that her daughter finally gets to train with a female. And so talking to even the mom about that, you can just hear that because as a female, I've learned to navigate my own self-confidence. I've learned to, you know, navigate the weight room as a former athlete, all of that stuff. You just sort of form that connection of hey i've been there i've done it i i i know what you're feeling right now i know that when you walk into a weight room you're scared or you are embarrassed or you're feeling shy or whatever those feelings are because i've been there um and it's tough and it, it sucks but it's tough for guys because that's just something that you can never not that you can't ever relate to but the perception, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the athlete. The perception of the athlete doesn't ever see that. So they want to, and it's, this goes across the board in other areas of our lives as well, is that we, um, we form bonds with people who have been through similar experiences. Um, so I'll you know, let Christian speak on, on from the male aspect of it. But I think from when we're talking to parents, I make sure that they the parents know or the client knows even if it's an older female that we are on the same page that our education is very similar our we've trained people of, of similar backgrounds both youth and adult um we speak the same language so our goal is to make sure that our clients and the people in our gym know that we are a cohesive team so we're not here to necessarily say that somebody is better than the other but we're cohesive we will help guide you to somebody who might be a, a better fit simply from the standpoint of what your goals are and that's that's really it because if that client if i happen to get sick and i'm out for two weeks i want to make sure my client is comfortable going with christian and from the get-go they know that basically we in a sense can are 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 interchangeable um and that does help them make make them feel a little bit more comfortable so. yeah i will i'll say this you you preach to this point all the time and you are you have been a source of information brennan for me for years upon years upon years and the phrase that you always say even now during this pandemic is you have to educate people. And for me, with this topic of female athletes, I'm always needing or wanting to educate the parents first. So if I have someone reach out to me and they want athletic training and it's for a female, I will listen to what they have to say, get that information. And I'll be like, okay, you need to talk to my wife. She has experience in this, but th your daughter also needs a strong female presence in this industry to see what you need to do for success, how you need to train for success with the variables that you deal with in your sport, um, in your health, all of that stuff. So that is a, it is a large teaching point for me to understand their needs analysis that we always are supposed to do, but understand their needs as a, a young developing female of when they see someone else that has like julia said gone through those footsteps they tend to cling to that better and then they're going to have better success the majority i do not have very many 
in-person female clients. And if I do, or online, if I do, it was by way of me doing a seminar or presenting something somewhere that they resonated well with, that they implemented my coaching cues or strategies, and it had a great deal of success for them. And then they decided, hey, this is a working relationship that would benefit me. Those are the individuals that I tend to have from a female aspect, not necessarily, hey, someone comes in off the street looking for coaching. That's when I'm like, awesome, but talk to my wife first before you make a decision. And like she said, if if she's there, we have this, we have similar coaching styles now when it comes to athletes, because I get to ride her coattails from all the experience that she has gotten in the past. Again, she's been doing it longer than I have. So I like to sit in and watch coaching cues, how she interacts with individuals. It's never going to be the same. If she's out sick, it's like having a substitute teacher. Mm-hmm. So, but I know how she interacts well enough where they're not going to be completely uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, that was, that was really good. Talking about the referral system from um, b- being the male side of things like with, I guess with, obviously being semi-private, we're slightly different how we, cause we have like an open coaching floor. So no, no client for us has ever dictated with one specific coach because there's always at least two coaches on the floor. So it could be me and Andrew, it could be Adrian and Andrew, it could be me and Adrian. Um, but I do, I have noticed that the one thing that from the females that we, we do have generally they are referred to by another female that has had a positive interaction within the facility as a whole. And for swimming, that's probably one of our big things that we got into early was female swimming. Um, mm. And then, and the nice thing is it's a very objective sport and right. You, you either swam faster or you didn't. Right. And you're using electronic timers. So it's pretty accurate. It's not, it's not very faulty. Um, and that kind of started catapulting the women side of things. And the next thing you know, we started getting, some female cross country and some female track and field. And there's that friend and inter- friend interaction that, Hey, my friend is going to be there at a similarish time. So I don't feel awkward. as the only girl, only 14, 15 year old girl around 14, 15 year old guys. Cause you know, you might be comfortable in school, but you know, we are a relatively good sized community of like 60,000. So there's a lot of different kids in schools that never would actually see each other unless if it was for us. Sure, and, right. Sure. And, and that, that, that's one thing that we really like too, is that you know, we create bonds and relationships and social structures that they wouldn't normally get nowadays because they're all on their phones. But um, that, that female cohesiveness that you just talked about was really, really, really good. Cause I, I didn't really think about that. I'm like, you know, every girl that we have, I can kind of pin back how it tracked from each kid, each kid. So. But it's um, also pretty cool because we don't, we're not, you're not just limiting your female athletes to only train with Adrian and we don't either. It just sort of, it ends up happening that way. So even the girls that are training, like you said, if it's Adrian and Andrew or Adrian and you, those females are still being around a male coach. So they can still, our goal is to still make them feel comfortable around a male coach. So yeah. if they need to ask Andrew a question, they can still ask him a question. They can be coached by him. Every time my female athletes come in, he's high-fiving them and he's like, hey, what's up? How's it going? You ready for today's workout? So he's still, even though he doesn't train them, he's still building a rapport with them by saying hello. Hey, good job today. Awesome. I saw you squat. Like as they're leaving the door, I saw your squat today. It looks really good. Like, so even just comments like that make them feel comfortable 
And then all of a sudden by the second month that they're coming, they've also formed a little bit of a, you know, a, a communication thing that, or with the parents. Um, so there's, there still should be a level of making those females feel comfortable around male coaches. Yeah. Um, that kind of segues into the next thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was what do you believe is the, the biggest pitfall uh, in the female youth sport athlete and, and how do you go about educating them about that pitfall that they may have, whether that be nutrition or stigma and training, or like we're kind of talking about the social structure aspect of it. What do you, what have you guys seen is that it's probably, especially Julia, if you, as being a female, what do you think is that biggest pitfall in the female youth sports athlete of their misconception of strength training and sports performance training for, for performance? Well, it's funny because we've been talking about training as a female, training female athletes. I think one of the biggest things I hear from, from parents is kind of what I just said of my daughter has been training with a male the whole time and they don't know what they're doing. Now I'm going to speak these words very carefully. I don't know these male coaches that they've been working with. Now, granted they're sport coaches. So a lot of these travel teams and college teams and high school teams, a sport coach, right. Takes them into the weight room and does some random exercises from some random program. So that another topic for another day is probably the first quote unquote problem, but let's be honest in that training programs can be very simple for youth athletes. So is it the exercises that this coach has been giving them? Is it just the fact that nobody's really being coached in a room full of 20 girls, right? So there's no actual coaching cues being given. Um, who knows why that is, but for whatever reason, parents, and this is a good example of the, the female that I just got, parents for some reason really want their, their daughter to be trained by a female because a male coach will get them too big, a male coach will not, you know, will only do male exercises, whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, these are the things, but these are the things that we, that I, that I hear. And, and it, it's, it's a little frustrating because you kind of go, um, I mean, chances are he's probably not doing a terrible job with the information he has. Um, so I think the, one of the biggest stigmas is that with, with female athletes is that they're, you, again, you're not going to get too big. You are not going to, um, th there's no special um, female exercise. There's no special, um, it's, it's per individual. We know now that coaching athletes is per the individual. What does the individual need? Um, based on their structure, based on their strengths and weaknesses, based on their whatever. So that's how we coach, right? We fix squat technique based on their, on their strengths and weaknesses. So getting rid of those stigmas that, that there is, that because you are a female athlete, that there, there's something, you, you need some sort of special female program. It, you, most of you, most of the female athletes we know generally just need to get stronger. And so getting that stigma out of there that it's okay and it's a good thing for your female athlete to just be strong. Yeah, I, 
that's very good point and that's probably how we got a lot of our female athletes that we do have and I know the one athlete in particular we probably initially only got because she got hurt uh multiple torn hamstring occurrences within a couple year period and we're talking in between um eighth and tenth grade so you know a very very fragile time um developmental developmentally and um someone said you know you need to find a strength and conditioning coach because the the rehab is not the rehab gets you back to square zero we have to get past square zero so that we don't keep going back into the negative again um so you need to build up some resiliency and some strength and you know of course parents are like well they do some weights at the gym and and the the pt is like well i can tell you whatever they're doing is not being beneficial because we wouldn't be seeing this problem <laughs> right and your daughter is a great example because as someone that's injured if it's good the injuries will stop will start going away and, and the confidence will come back and so that was mm-hmm. and that was a female athlete and that was honestly my first time i've had to deal with a a one specific um female athlete where her mom came and t- wanted to talk to me um, specifically from working with um, athletes because my wife is still kind of growing in that in that realm and she's done she does really good well with kids but um, they're like you know we need to you know the daughter is potentially probably going to be a division one athlete based upon her times and the way she runs but like what what do we do so we're setting up all, all that stuff and initially I had some hard time getting buy-in from her because again I think some of that male female relationship wise and, and eventually usually if we start having problems we let parents know that within the eight week standpoint we'll set up an individualized meeting to talk about what we like and what we want to see improved and if, if things look great you know we don't even have to have that meeting I'll just say hey you know Joey's doing great we'll keep going but I we had to set up a specific time for this specific athlete because she just was kind of like you can tell she didn't want to be there and so I had to I had to have a sit down like heart to heart with her mom and dad and just say hey sometimes I might be a little hard on you you know I might say hey make sure you're picking up your weights and you're doing all these little things and then like I know you want to be a division one athlete I'm trying to prepare you not only for that division one experience because that will be part of your job if you leave a weight out you will be punished for it I can guarantee you that but I want you to understand that I genuinely care about your performance like I want you just to work hard and give me what you can and then just trust me and once we had that talk that was about the beginning of season um, cause she didn't like, she had a new coach and she didn't like the new coach. So just trust me, do what your coach tells you to do the best of your ability. And, and we'll see what happens. And she goes on and has a PR year for a, for sophomore coming off an injury. And it's like, wow. now when she comes in, she's in a good mood. She understands everything. She's like, okay, she saw it firsthand and experienced it. And, and now I think she's like sold. Like she, well, she doesn't love lifting weights. She loves what lifting weights has been able to let her do, which is yeah. run PRs, train with her friends and, and have a good social construct within yep. a high school setting and, and as a 15 16 year old girl that's pretty pretty important yeah so, yeah um the the next thing uh julie you'll probably have to talk about more about this one i'm not sure how much experience christian would have with this but um talk about the importance of nutrition for the female athlete um and then how that nutritional component relates to hormones and the menstrual cycle for a young developing youth athlete I think I know for us that's probably one of the biggest talks that we have to have continuously with parents is making sure that their their girls are eating not only enough food but that protein is a priority and that the the nutrition is not there to get you fat it's there so that you can recover from what you want to do and help prevent injury and all that stuff so kind of give some information about 
the nutritional side of things. I know you have a lot more experience in that than, than I ever do. Yeah. And it's, you kind of nailed it because it's with that age group, it's keeping it really simple. Um, a few weeks ago I did a zoom call with, a softball girls that were around that age and the coach wanted me to just go over nutrition stuff. And it was, I mean, it's pretty simple because, and that's also an age though, where the kids, because of their practice schedule and their homework and all this other stuff, there probably isn't a lot of sit down with the family dinners. Um, so there's a little bit of responsibility on both ends with the parent and the athlete to make sure that they are actually getting food in. And so that's where, the communication with the parents comes in, but the athlete also has to know that it's their responsibility to do these things. Um, I think one thing, one helpful tip um, for athletes that age is, and I created a super simple like journal log thing to have them jot down. They can take it home with them and bring it back, but it's things like, you probably know, how did I feel today? How, you know, how was my practice yesterday, blah, blah, blah. So we, what we do is we start to put it in their head that the days that they felt really good, what did you do that made you feel really good at practice or your game or your performance? Okay, why did you have a great meet? Why did you have a great game? Oh, well, because, you know, I found that, you know, when I did get home from practice, I ate and then before bed, I grabbed a snack and I drank a bunch of water and I did all these things. Now, Contrast that with why did you feel, why did you do poorly? You know, you said you felt terrible at practice yesterday. Why? Well, I woke up late. I missed breakfast. I forgot to bring my lunch money. So all I had was a granola bar before I went to practice. So when you put those things together, I think it starts to ring a bell to them that one plus one, right? Good nutrition and, you know, all of the equals good performance. And so when you keep relating it back to, their performance and their sport, it, it makes more sense. So we have to make those correlations rather than just saying, well, you need more protein and you need to eat enough. Well, why? Like it, it's tough because that's an age where they are concerned about their body image and their body structure and what they look like. So um, making sure that performance is always talked about first is, is a helpful tip. And then again, give them something to go home with, have them, fill out a sheet that they can bring back on, you know, what they, you know, not just what they ate, but how they felt um, when they ate certain things. Um, and those correlations really help. I think um, a lot of the young girls, some of the girls we talk about menstrual cycle stuff with, um, you know, once they get pretty comfortable, um, I don't dive into a whole lot unless it becomes a big issue, but possibly with the parents. So that's where the communication with the parents comes in. Um, if they are having, um, you know, one mom told me that her, this is a, uh, her, you know, their 14 year old daughter was, you know, being put on birth control because she has really bad cramps when she gets a period. So, <laughs> well, I have a personal opinion about that. <laughs> you know, my job is to just sort of, guide them the best that they can. And so perhaps my advice is to, well, let's, you know, let's do what we can nutrition wise. Let's make sure that she's, you know, eating good protein, you know, getting quality, you know, three meals and a couple snacks in throughout the day. Let's see if that helps with any fatigue that she's feeling, blah, 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 blah. Um, and if you need to, and if you do need to go into further, 
Um, you can certainly re reach out to the parents and, and see if you can contact their doctor, right? Are there any medical issues that they're having with menstrual cycle irregularities and things like that? Um, I dealt with it a lot at the college age um, in the university setting because the girls were a little more independent. Um, we were able to kind of nip some of those things with nutrition, um, missed periods, anorexia, and stuff like that, um, just because we had the resources to do that. So a lot of it is just being able to ed educate them um, on a couple simple things so it, it makes sense to them on why that's important for, um, for their performance. Yeah, that, that was... We, we, we've been kind of in that boat before with um, a couple females, and that's usually where I empower Adrian. I'm like, hey, you know what? You've got that female trump card that I don't have. <laughs> go, go use that to talk with, with mom, um, which actually, you know, we've had a couple parents come say something to her uh, mm -hmm. and me, and I'm like, you know, I'll let you talk with my wife. I think that's going to be a more comfortable conversation for all parties. Um, you know, if you need my, my opinion, I will give it to you, but you know, I, I, I trust Adrian. She understands way more than I do. And, um, that's been a very beneficial side of having her, um, being as educated as she is that it, it, it gives that parents that comfort. And then it trickles down to the, the kid and the, the girls, I think, um, I think if they start if they really wanted to go to adrian they probably you know they could but you know at, the, at that age that's just an awkward conversation to have so you get you know usually gonna see it with mom first and that's that i try to think about like you said the college age girls too that especially that high level of the elite athletes athleticism and the high practices and the the schoolwork and the ability that you know mom and dad don't have you have a bedtime so you know you can go out thursday night and party with friends and get up in the early in the morning and that just it, it wreaks havoc on the, the girls. And I don't think they realize that until they start to see the, the problems. Well, and I'd like to point out that we can't leave out male athletes because um, I mean, the same goes for that. And just because females tend to have a body image issue or a confidence issue. Um, I have a male athlete that you can tell just by the way that he carries himself, that he does not have a lot of confidence. Um, and every single day, and this kid eats, crap um when he, eats. when he eats barely eats breakfast does not eat lunch at school because the school lunches are terrible he says and he doesn't want to pack a lunch so he doesn't eat anything and then at home he'll grab maybe like a granola bar and a gatorade before he comes to train so and i know christian has high-end high school athletes that he deals with that he has to have these same conversations with so and like you said, now these boys are getting together on the weekends and they're staying up late. And I mean, this kid stays up till 3 a.m. playing video games. Like, it's ridiculous. So I just don't want to leave out that sometimes the boys yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. need just as much, you know, just as much help in every single day. Even though I have not gotten through to this kid completely, every single time he comes in, I ask him, what did you eat for breakfast? What did you eat for lunch? And 99% of the time he tells me the same answer, but I don't care because I will continue to ask him. And it's finally gotten to the point that he's drinking more water and he's getting a snack before he comes to train. So at least I've gotten those two things um, through to him. Um, so it's just constant, constant. Ask them, ask them, ask them what they ate, ask them how they feel, ask them how they played, ask them how they performed, and you'll eventually start to get through to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, now that you say that, I, I also think of, um, 
a couple of male athletes that have came to me about, you know, wanting to either um, slim down for like spring or, or summer, you know, their shirts are going to be off working out with their friends or, you know, sports season, even this is another good coin to talk about too, is the being a wrestler that, you know, the, the crash dieting to make a weight class that, um, maybe the sport coach pushes you into, maybe it doesn't. Um, and that the, at that level, I guess you have to kind of also ask yourself the risk reward. I think most of them don't need the risk at all. Sure. You might get that one-off kid that is looking at the division one scholarship and stability, ability to cut a weight class and maybe win a state championship might warrant a little bit that when you get a little bit older, but even when I know when I was a freshman, people tried to talk me down and down into a lower weight class. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Like I weigh 114. I'm going to wrestle 112. I'll just not eat today of weigh-ins. And then that's, that's right. That's that. But um, yeah, that those weight class restricted sports with the males. That's a, that's a very good point. Cause I, like you said, we don't necessarily, other we forget about them, but the, the women side of it is pushed a little bit harder right. than, than the male side. So um I guess also um, we kind of briefly talked about this a little bit, but being a female in the strength and conditioning based field, especially early on in your career, um, you were obviously were essentially a minority. There were not many female coaches doing what you did. And and you're obviously still, I would say predominantly in a a male driven field. It's definitely way more of an even split than it it ever has been, but um, especially with the, the benefits of seeing, um, some of these females get into the MLB and the NBA and things like that. That's fantastic. Um, but what is it like being a, a female in that, that field? And then, um, you know, how has, how do you believe that that has helped since you've been doing it a long time, how that's helped shape other females that are coming um, up in the industry and what you might recommend for them. So like, you know, for example, my wife, who's, you know, still 25 and relatively young, um, what would you recommend from what you've seen from your 20 plus years? Um, yeah, it's very different now. Cause in 2002, when I first started, uh, at the university setting, it was, there weren't a lot of female strength coaches. Uh, so on the flip side, in the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about, um, how we get female athletes to kind of buy into, you know, female coaches. And the flip side of it was I had to get my male coaches, my male athletes to buy into having a female strength coach, yeah. um, which was tough. I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, looking back, I don't know if I would have done anything different. I think I just, and I've said this before, like I literally some days had to just demonstrate what the exercise was with the weight that some of the guys were doing. Um, now, granted, it wasn't a 500-pound squat, but I could get under a bench and bench what a lot of them were. You know, I could bench a plate, so that was no issue for me yeah. to get under the bar and bench a plate and show them or grab some heavy dumbbells and show somebody. So as silly as it sounds, my first year at Buffalo, I remember doing that in the fall with the football. And a lot of the guys were just like, literally did double, triple takes and were like, wait, what? And that unfortunately is what it took to gain some of their respect was like, oh, okay. I see you can actually do this stuff as well. Um, Now with social media, it's a little bit easier 
I think, for women to showcase their, um, their skills, their talents, their abilities, their gifts in coaching. So didn't have that 20 years ago. Um, so I would say for most females now, as far as the actual strength coaching industry is, is continue to learn from other people around you, whether they are male and female coaches. Um, reach out to other females in the industry, whether they are strength coaches, whether they are sport coaches, like you just mentioned, we could name the names of people who have just gotten hired by major league baseball teams, reach out to them, ask them, make those connections with them via social media. Um, having some of those mentors to just watch and ask questions when you need can be extremely beneficial. Um, but learning from male and female, you, you can continue to learn um, from others. And, uh, and just the biggest thing that I learned along the way was to develop my own coaching style. Um, as a young coach, it was not knowing quite the industry yet. It, I watched five other male strength coaches coach male athletes. And you kind of go, well, gosh, I guess this is how you coach athletes. You yell at them, you berate them, you call them names. Like that's what, right? That's what male coaches did to male football players. And um, not to say that I ever did that, but it, it, that sort of, I, I saw myself going, not really knowing how else to coach. And it took me a couple of years to really develop how I needed to, A, present myself in a room to gain respect, but also be earn respect in a way that shows that I also have compassion. Um, and so it took me a little time to develop that. So learning to develop your own coaching style takes a little bit of time. Don't mimic somebody just because they, um, you know, they yell a lot or they say certain phrases or you think that they have a lot of followers or that what just be find your own coaching style and stick to it because that is what's going to carry you through after 20 years i'm generally like i generally coach the same i haven't had to reinvent myself as a coach i haven't had to reinvent myself in the industry um and i think that stands the test of time in who i've been able to become as a coach yeah that's that's really good um I know with, especially with Adrian, I know she really looks up to people like you and Alicia, um, Jessica, um, you know, all the, all you females on Elite FTS do a good job of representing the whole empowerment brand and the stronger brand as a whole. And um, that, that speaks a lot about what not only the, the female industry has grown, but there are some really, really good coaches that regardless of gender, you know, you can, you can trust to get the, get the job done and get it done well. Um, something else I want to talk about with definitely both of you is the, I'm sure you guys get drilled with it all the time is the whole, the whole triphasic and powerlifting. And, um, you know, I think Christian, that's kind of, kind of your calling. Um, give everybody just for brief background, what triphasic is, um, as a, as a brief example, and then what you're doing with the powerlifting aspect of it and, and maybe even how you're using that um, maybe with some of your clients or sports performance kids and, and things like that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so um, 
simplicity is always key when teaching people about strength and conditioning. So at the basis, triphasic is a structured way or a system of programming that takes human movement, which is all dynamic in nature, and breaks it down into blocks or segments. Every dynamic movement that the human body goes through goes through an eccentric phase, an isometric phase, and a concentric phase. When you are athlete, because this is a strength and conditioning style podcast and sports performance, all athletes go through these phases at all times during their sport, no matter what sport it is, they're just doing it or showcasing it in a different capacity. Triphasic focuses on a block period of eccentric movements, which is the um, lowering of weight for our for the gym um, or the the short lengthening, the lengthening of a muscle. That is directly followed by an isometric block, which is meant to stop, maintain, and then going to be changing of direction, which is then going to be a whole block or phase of concentric. So this applies directly to any sport. Whoever's listening, just pick a sport in your head, and that sport has these triphasic implementations put into it. That's why the name triphasic came about. There's great. So it, the book written by Cal Dietz, there's actually several versions of it. The first one does an amazing job of a review of strength and conditioning from what I learned in exercise sports science. And then he goes into his um, methodologies of, of syncing it or synchronizing it for sports specificity, depending on what sport they're doing. Um, I was introduced to it in the form of that book, but also applied to powerlifting. Um, we tried to implement it in the way that he had in his book. Did it work for me? Yes. Um, I also started to find that after one training cycle, certain aspects of it worked better than others. And every training cycle that we went through and used it, we started to modify it and develop it more for a powerlifting sports specificity going through all of those uh little tweaks and modifications have aided me in being able to apply that to power lifters being able to apply that to uh general populations for people that are just trying to get stronger in general and being able to apply it for sports specificity um cal Dietz uses a system called um, the French contrast method along with the triphasic implementations. And it is fantastic for athletes because not only do you go through the phases of eccentric, isometric, and concentric, you do weighted plyometrics, unweighted or assisted plyometrics, accelerated plyometrics. So all of these things that are directly applied to athletes are now happening in their training structure. So that was an awesome ability for me to learn and to realize, hey, French contrast method might not be the best way to go for powerlifting. I then started training with the conjugate system, which you are extremely good at. Julia has been extremely good at and raised in the powerlifting realm. And when I transitioned from a more conjugate, if you will, and at its base, it's concurrent, which is multiple forms of strength being trained at one time. Um, transitioning over, I found that 
those aspects of the concurrent system can be molded with the triphasic um, system or theory, if you will. And so I decided to start playing with those and trying to mold them together. Um, one of the greatest reasons I like using this system for beginners is because it allows phases for individuals to learn certain aspects of a movement. Squatting, benching, and deadlifting are fantastic for me personally as a strength coach for gen pop because those will apply to everything outside of the gym, no matter what they're doing. If their big thing is gardening, I can make you a better gardener and not be hurt by squatting, benching, and deadlifting. Those are the things that I'm comfortable teaching and implementing this triphasic, um, these triphasic principles allows me to teach better and my biggest thing with teaching is I apply it to my kids and their schooling. Kids at a young age, if they latch on to a really good teacher, they want to take their teacher with them. That doesn't happen. It can't happen. Yeah. But when you go from one grade to another or one state to another, whatever, if you move, you don't get the same teacher. My biggest thing, and, and Julie and I both try and, and teach this to our athletes and clients, we want to be able to teach them so they don't need us. Because there will become a day that they either can't afford us, um, they will move. There's going to be some variable that doesn't allow them to work with us. If we did our job to the best of our ability and to our calling of what we've been called to do, they should be able to do these movements wherever they go, whenever they want to do it, whether it be in the morning, afternoon. If they came back from an injury, they will know how to perform specific strength movements that will not get them injured and allow them to progress no matter what they do. So that is another reason that I like using it for gen pop and for powerlifting. It's just been really easy to mold both of them because that's how I was raised is the triphasic system and the conjugate system. And once I realized that they can be implemented pretty easily, I just started running with it and our powerlifting team has had a lot of success with it um constantly year after year so we just keep um revising it with exercise selections and pairings of movements and it just keeps getting refined more and more and i julie and i are the test dummies i, I said mentioned earlier on the podcast i ended up hurting us i figured out that i was screwing something up and allowing this uh, uh block to go way too long and we couldn't handle it so yeah um you've made a really a really valid point there with the the coaching thing. I think as I talk to more and more people about what they're doing during the whole COVID experience and, you know, they're having to do, you know, they're trying to do all these um, Zoom classes and different things to train people. And uh, I, I feel, I told Adrian, I feel very, very blessed that we have a testament of what we've kind of done for our kids because we are just providing workouts and then we, we have like an exercise index on our website that I've done a lot of work on out of just uh -huh. boredom, but, uh, <laughs> but also that, you know, if they just watch that brief exercise video, they have an idea, but we can provide a workout and they go home and they, and they can do it. They don't have to call yeah. me and ask me a million questions. And I said that, that right there goes to what you're trying to do is when you coach somebody, you want to actually teach them how to do that so that they're not entirely dependent upon you. You know, if you can empower them to do a good job, your main job after you teach the exercises and how, why this is important after your X amount of week training cycle that you do with those specific exercises before you rotate out or whatever, then, you know, you can basically trust them to do their own thing 
and then you just help them make tweaks. Hey, you can go up, you can go down, or we keep your feet rooted, or keep your chest tall, or keep the bar squeezed. You know, your simple coaching cues that they don't really think about, but you can start to refine the details. And that's what we try to tell people that the difference between coaching and personal training is that we're going to actually got to teach you. And ideally, we we want to see you stay around, but if you don't, we understand that hopefully we did a good enough job that you're doing it on, right. on your own. Um, and we even have our business model set up that it kind of phases people that way that if they want to do the personal training and, and coaching aspect of it, we do that. And then we have what we call adult fitness where we provide uh, a daily programmed workout, but it's for the average adult. So it's not specific towards you, but you know, the movements are relatively general right. in nature and good quality exercise selection that's going to bang you up. And then you know, that's a little bit cheaper of a price point. And then we have our regular open membership where you can just come in and do your own thing. And that's you know, half of that price. So like, that's the goal of the trickle you down. We want to keep you as a, as not only a, a member and a, a part of the family, but you know, that you can, you can benefit from that. And then it cycles through and then you tell your friend how you went from, you know, having to spend X amount of hundreds of dollars to, Hey, I'm only paying $50 a month now. And I get access to all still the great stuff and still the great knowledge, but I can do my own thing and, and yep. think, it, think it through. And so that was a really good, good point, Christian. Um, I'm going to switch gears on you guys again, really quick and have you guys kind of tackle this one together. You guys obviously, um, have a young daughter and it's been, it's been a long time since I've seen her and she's, every time I see your pictures, man, she's growing like crazy. Um, how do you go about getting her to strength train and how does that conversation communication work on, on both ends, whether, you know, be with Christian or be with you, Julia, um, do you, you know, I, I, I want to say that you guys probably don't force it, but obviously there has to be, you're obviously explaining the benefits, which we kind of talked about, but as a, as parents, how does that conversation differ from say a clientele? So since they've been both been, been young, they've been around the gym and both went through periods of like coming and, you know, they go through that fun stage around five, six, seven, where they want, mom, give me a workout to do. So, you know, I write something on a board and they do it and they loved it. And they loved having a piece of paper that they could like check off their exercises. And then they get to be like this age, 11, 12, 13. And, um, it's not high on their priority list, but, um, so our daughter was a little on and off for a while. And last summer she's been playing softball since she was seven last summer. She, tried out for the all-star team, which she had made the three years prior and she did not make the all-star team. And, um, so asked the coach said, you know, thanks for the opportunity. Is there any feedback that you have for her? And he said, she is a good player. I just didn't see a lot of improvement from last year. And I also think that she could stand to, gain a little bit more strength and power in her throwing and hitting and all that. So we relayed that information to Hannah as an opportunity to say, look, if softball is something that you want to continue doing and you want to try to make the all-star team in the future, this is what coach suggested. So we're going to re recommend quote unquote that, um, that you start strength training. You're at the age that my athletes that come in, are the same age and they're training to get better at their sport. And so basically January 1st, we like set her up. It was, I, I told her, I said, if this is, do you, is this, do you want to play softball? She was also in gymnastics too, which as you know, gymnastics requires a wicked amount of strength. Yes. 
And she was struggling with things like the bar and, um, you know, things that required a lot of upper body strength. And I said, if you want to improve the gymnastics and you want to be able to do the whatever move on the bar, you got to get stronger. So we said two days a week she had to go to the gym with us after school. Um, and we, we gave her the choice first. And that's where I got jazzed up because she, she was bummed that she didn't make the team. And she was able to digest the information on her own. And Julia gave her the ultimate option of you can either do this or you don't have to, but this is what this, this is X and Y. Y is why you didn't make the team. If you go down or choose option X, you're probably not going to make the team again next year. And she was all about it, and she decided to do it, so she, she followed through with it. Yeah, I mean, she, she had days where she, you know, she'd come home from school, and the easiest thing for us was to get her to the gym, get her workout done. It only took about 40, 45 minutes, yep. so it wasn't super long. And then she could come home and have the rest of the night to do her homework. Um, and then, so there were nights, there were days where she would come, you know, get off from school, and she'd be like, do I have to go work out? And I'm like, yeah, it's Friday. Like we said, Mondays and Fridays were workout days. And every time she would go, she ended up doing well, and she would have fun and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then she got really into, like, she was seeing, because she had her own workout sheet, and she would write her own weights down. I, you know, taught her how to do all that stuff. So as she's seeing the number on her sheet, especially with deadlifting, like, she 80, got jazzed. 85, 90, 95 pounds. Like she got to the point to where, and I, so I told her, I was like 135 pounds is when you have big weights, one on each side. And um, so over the course of like, what, like eight, eight to 10 weeks, she, I progressed her program, super simple. And she pulled 135. So that was like a big deal to her because she could, she could see her progress. She could see her strength building. And even though there were days where she wasn't really like into it, it ended up being a positive because we showed her that it paid off. Um, so, um, so that was really just the biggest thing was being able to say, look, if you want to continue to get better at these sports that you love so much, this is what you, this is what you should and need to be doing. And then it also helps too that I have female athletes coming in so he would, she would see some of the other girls that might be a couple of years older than her, you know, training and putting in their good work. So, um, so that was helpful as well, that she's not the only one that there's girls just like her that are, 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 are getting stronger too. So, um, but yeah, this, this last year was the biggest kind of turnaround and sort of making it mandatory, but not, um, we just said that if this is as as an athlete, if you're going to continue to play a sport, you're these are the things that good athletes do, um, and we kind of left it at that and sort of said that this was what was going to happen. And uh, yeah, I think uh, what I really like from that is that you, as as parents, you gave the the choice to your daughter, obviously, but that you also didn't you went to the coach with an honest question of what can Hannah do to be better? Correct. Not my kid should have made the team. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I know that that's everywhere around the country that parents think that their kids are, are the best. And, and you, know, you want to think that your kid's the best, but you know, 
there's a reason why there's an average, a below average, above average. And, you know, not every kid can be average or above average or awesome. You know, some kids fall elsewhere on those spectrums and they're, they're going to fall different places and that's okay. But if you, like you, like you demonstrated, if you give your, your kid the choice, I think that's a big thing because may, let's just say, for example, Hannah's heart wasn't in the, into making that team. She's like, you know what, right. maybe this isn't my thing. Maybe I'll just stay focused with gymnastics. I like that more. I have a better time. I have, you know, my best friend does that and maybe doesn't do softball or whatever. Then, then she has that choice to make it where, you know, you're not saying, Hey, you're going to go do this and try to make the softball team right. to, to fill Julia's, right. you know, falling short of, of a softball team that, right. you know, you're not taking that, that upon her. I, and I hope more parents, anybody any parents that listen to this understand that valuable aspect that your kid will gravitate towards what they're best at anyway no nobody wants to do something they suck at correct it just it just doesn't human nature doesn't work that way our insecurities don't don't carry us to to want to do failure-based activities right uh, especially when you're 12 13 and you you think that everyone sees everything you're doing if you drop your pencil in class everyone just saw you do that more than likely one kid saw you do it. So, um, and then the other thing that, um, you briefly talked about there that I want to kind of expand on before we wrap things up is that as, as she's doing those sports, can you both briefly talk about like the whole sports specificity thing? So obviously she's, you know, lifting a couple days a week with you guys, she's doing some different sports and different activities. Um, just, not necessarily from a research standpoint, but just from what you've kind of seen in your, both of your guys' experience of working with athletes as a whole, but, you know, Julie, you've got a little bit more body of body to work with than Christian does here in this example, what you've seen from the sports specific stuff and how the, the generalization overall has probably trumped that specificity. Um, I mean, there's, I don't even know, this probably had to been about 12, 10, 12 years ago, I wrote an article for Elite FTS and it was something like, nine nine things the youth athlete needs to master and it's that really is what my programs stick to so if if you come in and you say hey what is your 13 14 year old female athletes doing it probably stems from that which is we want to and christian touched on this a little earlier is we we need to teach them the basics of movements and when they do that's how they get stronger naturally because a they get better at doing those movements and then obviously progressive overload so we squat them we deadlift them and again there's multiple variations we lunge them so single leg exercise we hinge them we push we vertical pull we horizontal pull and you know we anti-rotation so um and then i think there's even like skipping and hopping in there as well um so it's nothing super like we don't attach a band to a softball bat and start swinging things. Um, they need to learn because they're so, and especially with female athletes, they're so deficient in understanding what their body is doing and how their body is moving. I want them, we want them to move through space really well. So when you squat, you're squatting every single time you do a squat, it, we want it to look the same. So that way when you get on the field and you're in a defensive position or you're in a ready position, your body is capable of doing what it needs to do. It can produce force the way we want it to produce force. So that's our ultimate goal. 
And it has, it's not really that, oh, well, you're power lifter, so you squat, bench, and dead. No, that's just a fundamental movement. That's like your most basic of movements that revolve around what our athletes are doing um, because they jump and they lunge and they change direction. So it really doesn't get any more basic than that. And so when you take what those movements are, I mean, Hannah's program was literally a squat variation, a deadlift variation, a push, a pull, a shoulder press. I mean, it was so simple. And then some, you know, some core work. And, um, and I think we often, or coaches sometimes want to create this really cool, special thing. Um, when at that age, if we really are realistic and just be honest, at 13 years old, they need to master the movements and they can progressive overload for quite a long time yep. and make a whole heck of a lot of progress. And you don't have to complicate it because they need practice. So guess what? You might squat every day, you know, twice a week for the next 12 months. Yep. And that's okay because guess what? At the end of that year, they're going to be really good at that. And then you, you only, like you said, then now all you're doing is giving them little cues like root your feet better brace better like they've learned so much of that movement that they're so good at it that it's now actually transferable to their other you know sport movements yeah we i know we we stick with a lot of those same basics too when we're laying out everything it's you know we're looking for usually a triple extension based exercise whether it be a jump or a throw or mm -hmm. uh, you know depending what time of you know, skips, hops, all that kind of stuff. We want a squat pattern. We want a hinge pattern. We want to push both vertically and horizontally, pull both for vertically and horizontally. What can we, we, we call it our resist, but what can we resist movement in, but that be planks or carries or right. palace presses and holds. And, and they're not, they're not the sexiest things in the world. And, you know, we obviously cover some, some basic mobility stuff, teach them what a foam roller is. And if, if this feels tight, this is what you should you should foam roll. And if, you know, you're having issues with this, then we'll look at, look at that, but it's not, it's not earth shattering. And that's, that's probably the hardest thing that we have. And I'm sure you guys understand too, in the, in the private sector is that they see these other kids on Instagram doing all these cool mm -hmm. dribbling things and these bands on their knees and, and, and whatever. And, and you're like, well, that's, that's great. But you know, that, how do you, how do you progress from that? what there's, there's no really way to progress from it looks sexy and it, it it might sell but you know when your kid learns how to squat and lunge and do all this stuff better go watch what happens when they go to cut and plant and change direction and, and tell me what kid is probably going to be faster the one doing the little band things or the one actually building up some glute and hamstring and hip strength and you know overall body awareness and um sexy sells but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're gonna to be better so that's good to hear that you know obviously there's some uh, commonalities in our exercise selection with what we're doing at the, at the same age group as there should be. And some of it is, is with the athletes, you know, he, he's got some football players from a private school. And so again, if we can't control what they're doing at the school, at least we can make them better at those movements. Yes. So whether, whether we program in a power clean or not, we know that there are fundamentally things that those athletes need to be able to do better, like deadlift better, right? They need to be able to pick up something off the floor with a better position, better form, front squat, blah, blah, blah. So if we can make them better at some of those things, 
we will certainly do that. Um, you know, so that I think that's part of it too, is making sure that when they do go with their sport coach or their school coach, that we've taught them enough that they can now do those things, you know, so much better than, you know, than any other kid in that room. Yeah. And we kind of ran that too. I would say football is probably the notorious one from a private sector because most, most high schools in the country have some kind of strength conditioning workout or program they're going to do for football. Now, every other sport is usually put on the back burner or not thought about, or, you know, it's kind of like, Hey, it's whatever your sport coach does, but football generally gets a little bit more of an interest. When we get football players, they say, Hey, you got to bring me what you're doing at school. Cause without that context, you know, I don't necessarily need you doing all the same stuff repetitively that you're doing at school. Let's, if you are squatting at school, okay, let's just look to see what your back squat looks like and see what exactly. we can teach you mechanically to make it, you know, more crisp and more clear than what you need to do so that when you're at school, it looks better and you benefit from it. And then let's, from our perspective, we usually, in that case, we usually take the kid usually once a week and that's it. Um, right. These are the max we want. And we're like, hey, we're going to fill the gaps. So guess what? You're not moving in the frontal plane. That's a problem. <laughs> we're going to put some frontal plane movement in your training program or there's one row variation for three sets of eight and it's you know it's dumbbell row usually and it's like okay we need a way more upper back work you got exactly. six sets of bench press and three sets of rows and there's no shoulder prehab or you go look and the other big fault that we see is there's usually no eccentric hamstring work it's usually just like curls and leg extensions or maybe some lunges which lunges are great but there's no rdls there's no single leg right. rdls there's no you know, team kind of like Nordic based stuff or pull through some stuff that seems like so simple to some of us, but it's like, there's that, that's what we kind of do. Your training session on the paper looks really weird. You know, you got some lateral lunges and some pull throughs and some extra pull ups and, and rows. But it's all the stuff they're not getting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I try to tell the parents. Like, this is the filler. You know, you're kind of paying extra money for the filler that's, that's not being there at the school, and that's not your fault. And maybe the coach is doing the best what they can with what they got. I, it right. just depends on that school and that coach. But um, to understand that that we have to take that that initiative to look at what they they are doing, because ideally, you know, I do want my kid to squat. And you know, in my opinion, most of our kids they either front squat or safety bar squat more than back squat in most cases. Mm -hmm. But if they're going to back squat at school, well, I got to teach you how to back squat with a bar um, per normal. So, um, is there anything else that you guys have want to add, take away? I don't think so. Yeah. I think we covered yeah. quite a bit there. Yeah. 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 There was a good amount of stuff. So, um, again, Julia Christian, I appreciate your guys' time. You guys are good people. I hope we get to see you guys soon and everything lifts up and, um, some, some kind of events can happen, whether it just be, um, getting together and training. I know that we were pumped to have you guys speak at our seminar and we had, you know, we were really pumped with that lineup. I was like, man, first year gunning this, that is it. We set the bar high for ourselves initially. Um, and I know we're looking at doing dates in the winter. So, um, as soon as, as soon as we kind of, our goal is to get that done by May at the end of May, once we find a better idea of what's going to happen with the whole COVID stuff. So hopefully we see you guys in, uh, the winter at some point for that speak, but obviously hopefully we see you guys sometimes before then. Sure. Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it. Yeah. Take care guys. Okay. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. 
You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period T-H-I-R-S-T. Or you can give me a follow at B Smitley. That's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y. For more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host, Brandon Smilly, and we'll catch you at the next episode.